You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. For this episode, we're looking at what goes with cheese. What do you enjoy eating or drinking with cheese? There are a lot of options. And so we get advice and insight from Sam Wilkin, whose Cellar Man Sam podcast reflects his interest in cheese and cider. We talk to Wendy Wilson-Bett, co-founder of Peter's Yard, noted for their sourdough crackers, and who, of course, are sponsors of this programme. Guy Tolberg of Trucklements, who make a range of artisan condiments perfect for the cheese board. And Guardian wine writer Fiona Beckett, whose website, Matching Food and Wine, is filled with useful insights. And lastly, food writer Hattie Ellis, author of Spoonfuls of Honey, who will talk about that lovely pairing of cheese and honey. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Well, I'm very happy to have Sam Wilkin of the Cellarman podcast with me today on the show. Sam knows a huge amount about cheese and is a huge amount about what goes with cheese. So hello, Sam. Lovely to have you on the show. Hello, Jenny. Thanks for having me on. Now, I wanted to ask you, Sam, I'm really interested in when you're pairing cheese with, you know, with say, a chutney or fruit or whatever, and I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on what what things go well with cheese. How, how do you set about it? Do you have sort of broad principles that you, you work to? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think uh, over the years, I've sort of narrowed it down really to, to, to a handful of things that I think are really helpful to think about when you're pairing cheese actually with anything. Um, the first one is, I suppose, rather obviously flavour. So um, I can split this simply into two. You've got complementary pairings where you've got elements that match one another these are usually on the lighter fresher end so say you know a light fresh goat's cheese with something lemony and zesty works really well and then you've got contrasting flavors so at the other end salt and sweet salted caramel is the perfect example but in the world of cheese blue cheese with something sweet is always delicious um and then i guess texture is the second big thing texture so whether you're talking about um, you know, the, the acidity or the tannin, for example, or the effervescence or the crunch of a cracker or the, the pieces of fruit in a chutney. All of those things work and you have to sort of think how they work with the cheese. And then actually, I think for me, the last two are probably the most fascinating. One of them's heritage. So this idea of what grows together goes together. Why, why do two things that are grown and produced in the same sort of area, let's say a West Country farmhouse cheddar with a, a Somerset cider, is probably the best pairing of all? You know, why, why is that, that, that reflection of terroir and, and tradition all in one mouthful? And then the last one for me, which is the one I love, and it's completely personal, uh, and so I hope useful to every individual, is this idea of romance and nostalgia. 
So, hmm. you know, ha- creating pairings that perhaps have a, have a bit of a sense of humour about them or, you know, sort of light, fresh, creamy cheeses with perhaps a sort of a, a fruitier juice that reminds you of strawberries and cream or these things that can evoke a memory. I mean, we all, we, we've all had that moment where we walk past a, I don't know, it's usually a bakery, I think, where you smell these freshly baked bread and you're, you're, you're sort of taken back to a different time when you're in your... I don't know, your grandma's kitchen and there's the freshly baked loaf and, you, you know, it, it, smell is very evocative, but of course smell and flavour sit side by side. So, yeah, th- those are the four sort of tools, I suppose, that I use when I'm, I'm starting off thinking about how, how to pair cheese with anything. That, those are really useful. Thank you, Sam. And a very interesting way, diff- you know, different ways of thinking. And of course, this is one of the fascinations is, you know, why you're so interested in cheese, why I'm so interested in cheese is that there's so many cheeses, aren't there? And mm. not only do you have the single cheese, then you have the, the million expressions of it, you know, made by different makers, mm. each maker, the variety within, you know, like, you know, you and I will know that the same cheese made by the same maker will also taste different from batch to batch. And mm. so I suppose that keeps it very stimulating for you. Do, you. do you spend your time, have a thought, think, wow, I wonder if ginger beer would taste amazing with, you know, I don't know, with a goat's cheese or with a, with a blue. <laughs> Do you ever get these uh, sort of yeah, fancy absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think as well, one of the fascinating things just about not just pairing cheese, but tasting cheese is actually over time, you, you have to be quite keen on words as well because you, you want to communicate what you're tasting. It's all well and good to have this incredibly nuanced palate that picks up on all these different flavours. But then you've got to be able to tell other people what those flavours are. You know, you need to be able to describe the flavours of horseradish or, I don't know, leather or tobacco or or animal or all sorts of different flavours. You know, I've, I've heard I've heard, you know, somebody use the phrase human tears to describe a certain uh, saline <laughs> note in a goat's cheese. And absolutely, there's always a little bit of my brain that's just ticking over. Well, would this work? I mean, sometimes it's a disaster, I have to admit, to the point where I had a, a short obsession when we first opened uh, Pick and Cheese with this idea of putting putting the farm on the plate. And this was with Quick's cheddar. And I actually went down to Quick's and I went, spoke to the herdsman and he gave me a bag of their, their silage. And I took, took the silage back and I asked the head chef to dehydrate it um, to, to create a <laughs> dust. And actually this dust on its own had a sort of real kind of bitter cocoa element to it. And I thought, okay. So um, we ended up making silage panna cotta <laughs> to sit next to the to sit <laughs> next to the cheddar. This is very Heston, can I say? It was, it, it was very Heston. It was very Willy Wonka. And it was absolutely disgusting. So tr- <laughs> trial and error as well is a big part of this whole process. Sometimes things just don't work, however nice the idea of, of the romantic idea of it is. Yes, I mean, like, yeah, I can see what that sounds like a sort of fascinating idea. I can see why you chased it, but yeah, mm. then good to realise that actually. Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> it no, wasn't good. No. I mean, it's interesting, that. isn't it? So, so I was thinking of some of the one of the pairings I really love, which is, which in fact I sort of first came across it, I suppose, when I was a student at York University, and I went. To, it was a great treat. I was always like one of these mm. hungry students, you know, living on living on a sort of pitiful amount a week and mm. um, and then every now and then as a treat we'd go to Betty's Tea Room and Betty's mm. um, had all these exotic things to me that you know as a Londoner that were like Wednesdaydale cheese and fruitcake and I was like mm. oh you know but I tried I thought oh that's delicious and actually I was going to say one of my utterly favourite combinations is Lancashire cheese and an Eccles cake and that mm. which you know I suppose along those lines isn't it it's that um, mm. you know the, the fruit the dried fruit and that particular set of flavours and the touch of spice and then this very gentle crumbly cheese which again is texture isn't it texture mm, as well yeah. as flavours yeah te- texture as well as flavour and also I think 
you know, that there is that sort of uh, locality to those flavours. You know, people have probably been doing a, a variation on that. I mean, I know Graham Kirkham, who makes a wonderful uh, Lancashire cheese. Um, his mother, Ruth, makes a fantastic fruitcake. And, and actually, those are incredibly well-paired. And, you know, that there's sort of, I suppose, the idea of around that kind of cultural input into terroir as well. It's not just from the earth. It's from the people who live in the area as well. And I suppose I love that, that that was a sort of an alien combination to you as a Londoner. But, you know, you're getting a little view into this sort of microcosm of food culture in the north and, and how they taste cheese, you know, and other yeah. countries with things like cheese and jam. You know, cheese and jam is, I mean, we're very keen on chutneys, but cheese and jam is also another really popular, say, in Holland is cheese and jam. And actually in France, you're more likely to find a sweet fruit jam than you are to find a chutney. Isn't that so interesting? Because that would seem yeah. quite odd to a sort of, to most mm. people in Britain, I think. But I'm guessing it absolutely makes sense. Yes, it's that sweet. And, I mean, I think the, the pairing that people find the most enjoyable, I'd say the broadest spectrum of people find the most enjoyable is sweet and salt. And obviously cheese has a lot of salt in it. Blue cheeses taste more savoury and more salty, but they all have a good amount of salt in them. So anything sweet, sort of as long as you have it on that um, a balance of a sort of a seesaw with salt and sweet at either end and they're sort of nicely balanced in the middle. You don't want something that's not sweet enough or too sweet. You need to hit that that sort of middle middle line so they're well balanced like any good dish and would when you try because there are people you know people are making new cheeses um all the mm. time in britain it's a very creative cheese scene mm. and, and particularly um during the lockdowns we've seen a lot of that and so when you taste a cheese for the first time and you know a cheese that's new to you mm. do you immediately start thinking oh i wonder what would go with this is that a sort of train process thought process that gets kicked off well, I think, so we do have a very inventive and creative cheese scene, but cheeses, it's made from a very limited, I mean, one one real raw ingredient and then, uh, you know, um, bacterial cultures, salt and, and rennet. So it's, it's not a lot that goes into cheese. So there's only so many variations and they usually fall into a category. So, that you know, a lighter, fresher goat's cheese or a hard, um, you know, cheddar style cheese, for example. And so I suppose you kind of go, well, I know that light, fresh, citric flavours work really well with goat's cheese. So let's start there and, 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 and see how that, oh, well, actually, that doesn't work. We need a bit, something a bit sweeter. We need something a bit more kind of the, the rind on this has got a really lovely sort of rounded bitterness to it almost. Perhaps we need some aromatic coming in. Maybe, maybe rosemary has a place here, you know. So you, you start with some generalisations, you know, using those, those sort of four key tools that I described at the beginning. But actually, that they're very much just the starting point. Thinking of the sort of types of cheese, you know, which we're discussing. So, are mm. I was wondering, are washed rind cheeses one of? Are they hard to pair? You know, is is there a cheese type that is particularly tricky to pair? You know, perhaps it's got a narrow range. Blue cheese is hard, hard to avoid sweet things. If that mm. makes sense, I think because yeah. it's so pronounced saltiness. I think I think when you you find a pairing that works that isn't sweet, that's quite rare. I actually think um, fermented products, so things like um, kimchi, uh, work brilliantly with blue cheese. That lovely mm. kind of um, sharp sourness works really well with a sort of you know good blue cheese for me. Should always have a bit of that kind of lactic note behind the salt, um, and I think that works. Like you know a, a good a good full body sort of Stilton style cheese, like a Shropshire Blue, for example, it's got a lovely yogurty tang to it as well. Works amazingly well with a with a kimchi. So something with that you know, fermented sourness is great with blue. But generally speaking, I mean, 
probably one of my all-time favourite pairings for its for its lack of pretension, I suppose, as well, is a guy called uh, Mike Thompson uh, from who, who makes Young Buck in Northern Ireland, which is a certain mm-hmm. star cheese. He, his his personal favourite pairing is um, is a, is a chocolate digestive. Uh, oh. Nothing fancy. McVitie's chocolate digestive. Although I think he's he's moving up in the world. He's 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 changed to a chocolate hobnob. So I don't know. I don't know what that says about the man. <laughs> yeah, that's a move but, uh, down. I'm sorry. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Well, there we go. That's a whole other radio program. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes, that's yeah. another discussion to have. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, that is it. I mean, it's, it's sort of fun, isn't it? I think we should sort of say to people, actually, it's not about right or wrong. It's about what you like, mm. isn't it, surely? Mm. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing in all of this. So that those those guidelines at the beginning are just that. They are not rules by any stretch of the imagination. I I, I personally don't have a lot of time for the, the rules and the, and the kind of the rigmarole that can sometimes find its way into you know, cheese and drink and hospitality in general. I think I think really it's just another form of entertainment. You know, we're there to give people enjoyment and pleasure. And, and actually, you know, if we can do that in, in darker times, then that's that's wonderful. And actually, if somebody wants a chocolate digestive with their small scale, raw milk, artisan, handmade blue cheese, then mm-hmm. I, I am not going to tell them that's wrong because that's what they enjoy. And I think that's really the most important thing. Wonderful. Oh, well, it's, it was Sam, real pleasure to talk to you. And thank you, Jane. Yeah, and that was really um, stimulating insight into, into the sort of fun of it. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jenny. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop. Enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Hello, Wendy. Very, very lovely to have you on the programme. Um, and I've long been an admirer of Peter's Yard, enjoyed nibbling on them. <laughs> so, um, so it's really nice to talk to you. Was, tell, tell me how, what, what gave you the idea? How did you, how did you start Peter's Yard? Oh, yes. Well, hi to you as well, Jenny. Um, it goes back actually about 14 years ago. I was working uh, at Cadbury Schweppes uh, along with my now business partner, Ian, who also worked there. Both of us had always longed to run our own business Um, and Ian was married to a Swedish wife. He'd lived in Sweden and he'd fallen in love with Swedish bakeries and kept telling me about how brilliant Swedish bakeries were and the products that they made and the way in which they went back to some of the history of making breads and pastries and things properly with very simple ingredients. Mm. Um, And we both basically thought there was an idea in that. And Ian asked if I would go with him to various bakeries in Scandinavia. So that was fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That that sort of research is just the best, isn't it? It was the best. Lots of coffees um, and buns and cakes and bread. Mm. And over the course of uh, what in, in Sweden they call fika, so sitting down with a coffee and a friend and having a chat, Um, we discussed the idea of starting up a Swedish bakery here in the UK. Um, So roll on quite a period because we wouldn't have time for the whole story. Um, But we were introduced to somebody who was doing that very thing. 
uh, here in Scotland called Peter Lundquist, and he was running a, a bakery cafe up in Edinburgh. Uh, so we went up and met him, and during the course of meeting him, uh, we came across some amazing crisp bread, um, really like a cracker, less like what we would call a crisp bread here. And we asked him if he was ever going to take those international distribution in the UK because they were just so good. Mm. Um, and he said he didn't know how to do that. And Ian and I kind of looked at each other and thought, we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of what we've been doing for years in our careers at Cadbury. Uh, so we left Cadbury and set up uh, Peter Shard selling what was then a very small range of sourdough crisp bread. It was actually what we call our original recipe. Um, so yeah, that was, gosh, you know, getting on for 14 years ago. And then we took those products to some well-respected people who we knew had really good taste in food. Um, so the buyer at Fortnum's and, uh, Patricia at La Fromagerie, mm. um, you know, people who we really respected and we didn't say we want to sell these because we didn't have any product to sell. We just said, if we started to make these products here and had sufficient supply to supply you, would you stock them? And it was just a brilliant, in hindsight, a brilliant selling technique because (laughs) they all went, yes, please, these are fantastic and they would work so well with cheese. So yeah, we spent a year and a half or so actually testing the product, making sure we could source it, originally bring it in from Sweden and Ian, my business partner's daughter, hand labeling the labels in his garage. And yeah, now we're fortunate enough to have extended the range a lot and to be in some beautiful farm shops, cheese shops, et cetera, but also some of the um, lovely supermarkets in the UK. So yes, it's been a fascinating journey and a really satisfying one. I was really interested in the, you know, one thing that strikes me about, I like eating your crackers with cheese because I find this it's the, um, you know, they're very thin and fine, aren't they? And they've got that distinctive crunch which I really like so I like the way they don't overwhelm the cheese in a way you know so, I mean, they seem like this, this sort of perfect accompaniment you know is that so and when you're developing your your recipes for your range because I know that you've extended the range from that original recipe do you think of do you think of them in terms of you know these are crackers to eat with cheese yeah yeah no we do um and thank you you're not the only person to say that we hear that time and time again that actually sort of crackers are more like the straight man in the act you know they don't try to overwhelm cheese it's perhaps a little bit similar to fever tree and tonic and gin if you're spending lots and lots of money on a lovely selection of cheeses then you really don't want the biscuits to be the hero you want the cheese to be the hero and the sourdough that we use sourdough in absolutely everything that we make and that makes it quite similar actually to the production of cheese in the sense that there's a natural culture it takes time, so very much um, in line, actually, with your principles of the missing ingredient, Jenny. Yes. Uh, we, we feel that our most precious ingredient is time, um, and that creates a very subtle sado flavour, which doesn't compete. Um, but also then, yes, we set out to say, let's look at a fabulous cheese board. What would you put on that cheese board? And then what are the different flavours, ingredients, textures, and also, actually, size and a, a, a sort of visual look. You know, we really try yeah. to select products that would work well and be appealing to the eye on a cheese board. That's very interesting, isn't it? Because you've got these very striking black crackers, yeah, which yeah. Are, are always very eye-catching, I think. Yeah, that's a charcoal cracker. And I agree with you. I would always want to include that 
on a cheese board. It works really well because of its colour with something quite pale. Uh, so a brie or a goat's cheese or something like that works so goat's well with it. Goat's cheese have that beautiful bright whiteness to them, don't they? When you put okay. it on the Exactly, the exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I I love all sorts of cheeses. I'm really trying to support British cheeses at the moment. And uh, I, I really love charcoal paired with something like a Tunworth. Uh, oh. But anything that is soft and pale, um, I think goes really well with charcoal. So if I were putting together, say, three cheeses and three crackers, I would definitely put a soft white cheese and charcoal as one of those combinations and pairings. And what would the other two be then? Um, so the other for a blue cheese would mm. be a fig recipe. Uh-huh. Um, so that is made with spelt flour and pieces of fig. And the real dried fig. Sorry, I didn't interrupt, but is it, is it dried? No, no, it's fine. It is. It's dried, yeah. dried pieces of fig and also yeah. fig paste. Okay. Um, and uh, some honey as well. And that sort of sweetness, although again, not overwhelming, just offsets anything salty or strong in a blue like a Stilton or a Roquefort. And, and again, at the moment, I, my, my favourite pairing there with a British one, I mean, I love lots of different British blue cheeses, uh, but I've just fallen in love with Northern Blue by Shepherd's Purse. Um, and that just complements spelt and fig beautifully. But it is any, anything that is strong and salty just works yep. really beautifully with the sweetness. In fact, I've actually got a packet of your cheese because I was talking to somebody who does cheese taste and she said oh I love Peter's Yard and she said I love the um the snap and I thought oh yeah so I got one I'm just going to I'm going to snap it hold on yeah that's oh, a very satisfying perfect. sound isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it is actually and, and we do kind of have people say it's uh, it's your snap your crunch your texture your crispiness and actually their layers to the bit oh, you know looking it's quite interesting it hasn't just broken it's I can actually see those sort of a little bit of airing there and a little, yeah. Actually, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, we call it being baked to imperfection. So many um, <laughs> biscuits are sort That's of made very, yeah. <laughs> so many are made really quickly. Potentially, they need to be for efficiency and stuff. But for us, we've always set out to produce something properly um, with that really special ingredient of time. And we would hate it if any of our crisp breads looked alike. Uh, so those bubbles you're talking about, um, if the bakers, when they remove the crackers uh, from the oven, if they haven't got that waviness and the little bubbles, mm. then it's rejected. So for us, oh, the yeah. texture comes a lot from, as well as the taste that comes from the slow fermenting sourdough, also the look, the you know intrigue of everything, uh, feeling like it's not sort of a cookie cutter type product comes from the fermentation and those air bubbles and the layers. Um, so, yeah, for us, that's a real, impo- really important part of our quality control. And there's a real smell, you know, when I broke it. You get a real... Yeah. You know, in the way that when you... Um, it's got a lovely, sweet sort of nuttiness to the to the scent. And that sort of, you know, reminds you of, of bread. Um, you know, it's in that sort of family of smells in a way. Um, which is very striking because, you know, lots of there are lots of very dull crackers out there, sadly, in the world. And it's really interesting hearing the, the care that you, you take. Um, and I'm, I'm so fascinated by the fact that you use time because for me, when I wrote The Missing Ingredient, it was a revelation quite how much time had been driven out, you know, that when processes were industrialised, um, one of the things that went was time. And, and the craft movement in food very often puts back time into 
the process. You know, it's it's a really because time just gives things that that nothing else can give in a funny way. I, I could not agree more with you. And we've never tried to speed up the process. We just know that this is really what what we're making is bread. It just happens to be um, in a sort of dried form, and that is so in keeping with the traditional heritage of our brand. I mean, Peter is Swedish and when he bought the crisp bread over from Sweden, um, it was as a form of um, preserved bread. And so all of the range that we do uh, for cheese really sort of mirrors the fact that this is what you would do if you had a really good quality bread and you can't rush good bread either. Um, And the other thing that we feel is if you're making cheese or anything that is made slowly, properly fermented, you're much more likely to want to sit down and enjoy that ritual of eating something that's been made with care. I mean, that is one of the wonderful things about a cheese board, isn't it? Often it is a leisurely experience because you can't, you know, it's not about grab and go. It's about sit and chat and haven't, you know, try a little piece and then try try that combination and, you know, you know, go back to the cheese. You think, oh, I really love that one. I want a bit more of that. Or I might try this. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a very, I, you know, I wrote about savouring food. And what strikes me is, you know, the foods that are made very well, they deliver, they've got a lot to savour, basically, because they deliver a long finish in your mouth. You know, so your crackers have got a lot of flavour to them. So this might be... You know, it's a simple thing. And yet, you know what, a good simple thing is really hard to make, I think, actually, personally. Yes, yes, yeah. No, I I do agree with you. And I think it's very easy to add loads and loads of ingredients. But actually, to make something taste good with very few ingredients is is much harder. Uh, but, But I love what you were just saying about the cheese board, because if you're hosting an event yourself, cooking for people, which I certainly love, I think the lovely bit about a cheese board is at that point you really can kind of go, oh, that's it. All the really hard work's done. Now I can mm. genuinely just completely relax and take time. So it is, I have to say, I don't have a very sweet tooth. And a cheese board is the favourite part of a meal for me. Um, so, yeah, I think it's um, something I'm looking forward to having very soon. As soon as I can have lots of family round again. That would be the sort of centrepiece of anything that we're doing if we're catering here. How wonderful. I mean, how, and it must be very satisfying for you to to think that you're, you know, that you're from this idea you had. And I, I met you many years ago, you know, at the start of your your business. I met you in Fortnum's handing out a tasting. I remember it because I remember <laughs> how impressive, you know, how it tasted. I thought, oh, that's really good. You know, sort of, instead of it being a dull crack, it was like, oh, wow. It sort of stopped me in my tracks of it. And, and I remember talking to you and, be, and thinking, gosh, you really were very together and on top, you know, that you're, and very proud of what you did. I, I can I remember that impression, you know, from all these, it must be a good sort of nine, ten years ago. Oh, but it must, be very, <laughs> it must be very satisfying to think that, you know, what you're making is going, your, what your bakery is making is going out to people's homes to be enjoyed in a way, isn't it? That's sort of rather, you know, this is, this is something that is really useful food, but also it's something that is part of lovely lunch, eat, eaten with, you know, with other wonderful foods, you know, with, with cheese, with, with, you know, I'm getting smoked salmon or other, other things. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, it is actually, it's funny that I remember back, you know, thinking, how do you make a company work and actually doing things like those tastings? And I can't tell you how many I have done in Waitrose and Whole Foods and Fortnum's and places. Um, but the great thing was it, it, it actually helped me really have confidence in the fact that the product spoke for itself because so many people like you would say, oh, gosh, that's 
better than I expected. You know, quite a lot of people mm. would think it looks like it's a humble product and actually it's quite surprising then uh, when you try it. I think I'd always sample with butter and actually it's funny because although they work brilliantly with cheese, just a smear of butter and, you know, it's just like eating toast almost. Yeah. Um, but yes, having gone from that to in, in and I um, always set out to create a business that made us proud. Uh, so we weren't really out with a kind of hard mission in mind about profit or bottom line or anything like that. We just wanted to do something that we enjoyed and that we could look back on and go, that was good. And we did something that felt good. Uh, so now we're still a small business, but we've got 15 people now. Um, I still go out to any of the, when we used to be able to do things like Abergavenny food mm. fair and things like that, which hopefully will come back. I'd always still go along because you get such great feedback from people. So it's interesting, even at... Um, a foodie event like Abergavenny, some people were going, oh, I'm not sure I'd want to try the charcoal. It looks, you know, so black. Am I going to enjoy it? And I said, well, just try it. You know, it's, if yeah. you don't, it doesn't matter. Um, and, of course, then once people have tried it because it's not gritty, it's delicious yes. and it works so well, that in itself means that, yeah. you know, through our marketing and stuff, we will work hard to encourage people to understand it. So those samplings, um, they were hard work and my my legs used to ache at the end of every day <laughs> but I'd yes. come back full of ideas on what we needed to do but also full of confidence that the product in itself really speaks for itself. I would like to talk to you a bit more about your extending the range Wendy because you know you had that very classic understated you know pure in a way and then when you add in flavours that you know they've got to you know given your whole ethos they've got to work really well haven't they and there's got to be a reason for them I suppose to be adding yes. to people. I'm getting you, you spend a lot of time and care in thinking oh you know what, what do you okay, yeah. is it, and it must be quite fun is, is it sort of is it really interesting sort of you know brainstorming thing do, do we want a chili one do we want you know i don't know do we want a mustard one or i don't know how it, how it, it, is. How it works yeah, yeah. no it, it, you're absolutely right that is because we're only a small team and in fact the little product development team is tiny uh it's kind of four of us that would work on that um, and we do really just try to think we all love food so um uh product development team of real foodies. Um, so for example, we really wanted to find something that would work with the sort of cool acidity of a, a sharp, fresh goat's cheese. Mm -hmm. And so we have a pink peppercorn recipe that the warmth of the pink pepper just really cuts through with the goat's cheese, but only again in a really subtle way. Mm -hmm. But we just set out and said, what could, what flavors would go really nicely uh, with the goat's cheese and just sort of brainstormed all of the different things that could work. Um, so and we got a caraway seed one. Is that right? Yeah, caraway. yes, we have a caraway yeah. one. That's that's such a, a lovely flavour. If you have something like um, a pungent cheese, like a stinking bishop or something yeah. like that, because it's, it's got rind, quite... a sort of smelly washed rind. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's got quite um, a sort of kick to the flavour that can stand up to a much stronger cheese. So as we extend our range, we're basically saying where can any really good sourdough product work where people are looking for something that's made with nothing nasty just really carefully selected ingredients and time wonderful Wendy it's a real pleasure to talk to you thank you for your time today and thank you for you know for coming up with the idea for Peter's Yard which is I mean good food is such a pleasure isn't it so thank you yeah and good things take time 
So, but thank you very much for inviting me, Jen. It's been a pleasure. Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com, and specialist food retailers. Good morning, Guy, on a cold spring morning. Thank you so much for coming on to a slice of cheese. And of course, you know, condiments and cheese, um, a marriage made in heaven. You know, a company that does preserves, but has also always been very innovative. T- tell me about how it started. Well, Jenny, good morning. Um, my father started the business in 1970. He was working for uh, a local uh, meat factory and making sausages and he used to make his own mustard uh, to go with those sausages, which was a recipe he discovered in John Evelyn's diary. And I think from there on, he has an amazing interest uh, in food. And from there on, I think we continued to innovate. So whether or not it was that, or we started making apple and sage and apple and mint jelly, which actually weren't really around in the mid seventies. And um, this, you know, the business has been around uh, for fifty years, so around most of my life, all of my life. And um, it's been something as we've watched that journey. I think it comes from this um, amazing curiosity that we have with food. And he had it and I have it, which is this thing that says, what's that? What does it taste like? What's the history of that? So between my father and myself, we have a collection of over 500 uh, books. The oldest is about 300 years old. And they're about the history of food preservation. So it is something that interests us personally. Mm. I mean, often that creates the best business, so to speak, doesn't it? You know, uh, something you care about, which in fact, you know, with, with cheesemakers, you know, so many of them are doing it because they are sort of obsessed, you know, gloriously obsessed by this very difficult task of turning milk into cheese. And uh, that love and care, you, you can't really beat it in a, in a way, can you, for the results? Yes, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I have a, I, I mean, I, I love cheese. It's something that uh, has interested me for a long time. And I think there is a similarity uh, between, you know, perhaps that whole artisan movement that was moving through the 70s and 80s. Um, I was, uh, Jenny, I was a dispatch rider uh, back in the day, and I used to go to a cafe at the end of um, Short's Gardens, and I sat there, and I would chat to a chap, a uh, chap with rather blondish hair, who turned out to be Randolph Hodgson. Oh, and, and so we giggled about that many years ago because we, they're a customer. Um, and, yeah. you know, uh, but, but I was sitting there as a dispatch rider. He was just starting out. And I think those things that, um, you know, th- those, those journeys, whether or not it was us or people, you know, rearing good meat, this thing of the cheese, that revolution was happening really in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, the food scene has changed so much. And I've been writing about food for, for 30 years now. Um, and I've sort of witnessed that, you know, and charted it and talked to people like Randolph of Neil's Yard Dairy. Um, mm. Yeah, it's really, you know, and so much energy and commitment and, and enthusiasm, actually, which is what, you know, which is why I, I love what I do, um, because I get to talk to people who, who love what they do. And that is very energising. So tell me... I'm reading this, uh, this your, you know, the innovative side, and and this, the, the, what sort of role did cheese play when you were developing new products for truckments over the years? Chili jam, for example, was that something that you would have thought, you know, would you think of it in regards to whether it would go, go with cheese, or would you just think of it in its own right? I I, I think yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I mean, obviously the chili jam is is our our, our latest sensation, I suppose, but I would, go, I'm gonna sort of 
bring it back a little bit to this mm-hmm. idea of uh, onion marmalade, which I think now is maybe 25 years old for us when we launched it. Wow. Um, and that definitely came out of this idea of something that, that was eaten with cheese. And we've always had this view that the, the, the French don't have accompaniments with their cheese, but we started to find that they were selling, you know, you could have some form of, would you say, preserve with cheese. So we were coming across caramelized onions. We were coming across a, a sort of fig relish that, that they would eat with cheese, particularly down in the Southwest, mm. I noticed. And so because we have an interest in cheese, our tracklements going with those with those particular cheeses has always been important. I wouldn't say that we, we come up with a recipe because of that. We come up with a recipe because it's something we like. Yeah. Um, and but whether or not that's making a really good apple chutney, you know, which or a good tomato chutney, I mean, all, all we always say that what we do isn't particularly clever. It really is just very simple, but it's just about following a series of rules and doing it right. Yes, and it's interesting. I mean, I think one of the joys about cheese as a food is it's incredibly accessible because you know the because you don't have to cook it. You know, good you know good meat, good fish. I I love cooking, obviously, but. But the joy of having the pleasure, and in fact, I've noticed that when I talk to people like Rundle Hodgson of Neil Yard Dairy or David Lockwood of Neil Yard Dairy, they'll often come to the pleasure of having, you know, cheese in the house, good cheese in the house, because they've got a, you've got a meal there, exactly what you're saying, ready, that requires very, you know, no preparation other than taking it out and bringing it to room temperature, which is important. And then there you go, and some salad leaves and some nice you know, accompaniments to... And I suppose the joy, the charm of having um, chutneys and preserves or pickled onions or whatever it is you're going to have is that then you can mix and match, can't you? So it just gives you that other a chance to sort of to play with combinations. Yes, and nobody has to nobody has to agree with the combination. I mean, I, I happen to like the various combinations we put together. You know, it, it, we can explain it as simply. And you mentioned a pickled onion. You can you you probably wouldn't pickle put a pickled onion with a really soft, bloomy cheese, would you? But yeah. you would happily do it with a good mature cheddar. It's a, it's an absolute wonderful flavour combination. But it's getting yeah. those things right. Well, that's the fun of it, isn't it? I mean, it's the exploring. Um, yeah, I just thought, I think it's interesting that you were reviving, that your company have revived preserves that were falling out of fashion. And yet, you know, and these, that, that sort of resurgence of, of pride in British food. Um, because I, when I was a child, um, well, British food was pretty grim when I was a child, to be honest. And then, and then it's been really wonderful seeing it sort of, um, you know, that they are wonderful producers. And I lived in Italy, and the way that when Italians came to visit me in London, the way I would, con- and they had a very low opinion of um, English food, but you know, based uh, on on a sort of prejudice, really. And I would, my way of converting was always take them to Neil's Yard Dairy and shop to get them to taste some wonderful cheeses, you know, like a, a beautiful, you know, farmhouse cheddar or a lovely Lancashire. And then, and you could sort of see them think, oh yeah, you have actually got, you know, you too have got good ingredients in your good foods in your country. Yeah. And it, it, and, and I think, I mean, we, we were, I was growing up, um, you know, down here in Wiltshire and, and very lucky probably to have not lost that link with producers, but also through my father. But my father in the middle between one job and the other made mustard and ran a restaurant at the same time. And running a restaurant in a small market town in Wiltshire back then was really quite unusual. And he he was always simple food, really simple menu, four things maybe. People would buy the jars of things that were on the shelves. And then after a year and a half, two years, he thought, I think I'll I'll run this one rather than the other. But even then, he was using 
I mean, he was using the regional and local suppliers because that's really all he had access to if he wanted if he wanted good ingredients. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 are cloves tricky? Because I tried a preserve the other day. It was um, a fermented product, and and it was whoever had made it had just been really heavy-handed with the cloves, and it yeah. was. I was like, oh. And I do like cloves, but I would just, I thought, gosh, they are tricky. You've got, you've got to be a little bit careful with them, I think. Yes, I mean, again, where we use cloves, um, you know, our wonderful collection of food, cookery and history books, they normally get it right. And if you read about it more than two or three times, there's something that's right. So we often use, as the recipe books would say, muslin. So we use a muslin, we make a muslin mm-hmm. bag. And with things like cinnamon sticks and cloves, we might pre-spice the vinegar, so just bring oh, the vinegar to the boil with the muslin bag in it yeah. and then remove it. So then what you've done is you've created the flavour, but if you put cloves into something, the flavour will grow and change over time and then it will come to dominate. So the simple thing is where you've got a really dominating thing like a clove or an allspice is probably just put it in a muslin bag, bring it to the boil and then remove it. And then, and, and those things are things that you learn over time, you learn by being interested and that we yeah. have learned. So we say we make everything just as you would at home. We, we just happen to make 150 or 200 jars at a time. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's, and that's how we think that we do it well. And have you, is, are they in terms of sort of people buying chutneys? Is, is, is Christmas the big busy time when people are, you know, are thinking of cheese boards and festive cheese boards and, tape, you know, and cold meats, obviously, too? And, is, and, you know, is there sort of, is that a sort of rush towards, you know, towards tracklemans to, to stock up with wonderful mustard, yeah. etc.? Yes, a, a little bit. But because we've been able to, you know, chutney seems such an old fashioned word and we have racked our brains to try and make something sound a little bit more interesting. But as you take things like onion marmalade and fig relish, we suddenly bring what I call a new group of consumers in and the chili jam, mm. where we bring a new group of um, young, younger consumers. Yeah. Chutney has slight connotations of age, I always, I always feel. But yep. yes, it's Christmas. But over the last year, we have seen people reverting to, to things that really comfort them. And, you know, I think that cheese and chutney thing is a really comforting connection. Um, But yes, people putting together cheese boards, but most of us now, you know, I I know none of us have particularly socialised for for quite a long time, (laughs) but, but most of us now will put a cheese board together. You know, there's 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 a lot of you know you don't have to be clever as we were saying you 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 can do it quite easily, Um, and just one chutney, maybe two, just something, and then. What's interesting is watching people say, gosh, you know, I've, I've sort of forgotten how nice that idea and combination is because mm. of this move towards as much as we love Membrio and those sorts of things. We're not the only country in the world to put savoury preserve or sweet preserve with cheese. You know, it's yeah. very common. But our version of it was was chutney the reason being is we had vinegar you know we had we had vinegar for 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 a thousand years i mean since the romans came and then we bought sugar to what maybe the the 16th century Mm. and then we used those as our form of preservation so it's really our history it really is part of our food culture and history i mean these your collection of cookbooks sounds 
I'm, I'm sort of jealous, basically. It sounds, it must be fascinating. And, and obviously preserving, you know, in, in days before refrigeration, you know, preserving was a historic necessity that now in our time, we sort of almost, use, you know, we use it for flavour often, don't we? You know, so we have smoked salmon because we like the flavour of it. We don't need to smoke the fish in order to keep it. But um, so preserving was obviously a massive element of these historic books. Yeah, co- completely. I mean, that, 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 that probably was one of the motivating things. And actually, let's think of the same thing. Cheeses comes out of the same process, doesn't it? Absolutely. Preserving milk. So um, we, ha- we had to do it because of our climate. And we're, our, our, our lovely factory is situated right on the Foss Way. Uh, mm. And I love the fact that uh, 2,000 years ago, Roman soldiers were... Uh, in fact, there's an old Roman settlement about about 400 yards away. Amazing. Uh, uh, were carrying mustard seed in their maybe mustard seed and spices in their pouches, um, and and now so many years later, you know, mustard's been made here. Yeah, that's a wonderful connection, isn't it, to to the landscape around you? Um, a r- very interesting story. What I was interested in your, your father just sounds such a a wonderful man, and and so interested in food. I was thinking about um, cheese on toast and, and mustard, actually, was my train of thought there. I was, I was thinking about how I, you know, I wouldn't have mustard with cheese on a cheese board, uh, particularly, but I, might, I probably would have it with a pork pie. But I really love spreading a slice of bread with mustard and putting cheese on it and grinning it. I was thinking about the act of cooking with yeah. cheese and flavouring it. It's, it's, yeah, tell me your Welsh, thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah, Welsh, I mean, Welsh rabbit, I mean, we, we, we make a beer mustard and we have a, we have a recipe that's on the website. But we have a recipe for Welsh rabbit using beer mustard. Um, when you say cheese on toast, I think of spreading just a, a, a layer of mustard. It can be whole grain, it can be smooth. I mean, it was whatever you like. Mm. But but as it begins to cook and melt with the cheese, it is a perfect combination. So, you know, I, I love that savoury thing of, of uh, cheese on toast or a Welsh rabbit. And yeah. um, I, I, th- I think cheese and mustard, yeah, I'm at the extreme end of it. So I would happily have a, a whole grain mustard. Uh, I'd certainly mix it into a cheese sauce. I probably would have it with cheese, but I... A good cauliflower cheese with mustard in the sauce, you know, is a thing of beauty. I always do that. I totally agree. Yeah, and um, grain mustard for me. So yeah. yeah. So so I, I think in cooking cheese mustard, I think yes, there's a there's a definite connection. But the other thing is that people often say to me, oh, you know, I have these sort of last jars left in the fridge of of um, of anything, be it a chutney or a relish, and I say, for goodness sake, just cheese on toast. You know, spread yeah. spread a layer of it, you know, cheese on top, melt, you know, brilliant. Do you know what? I'm so glad I'm working at home because guess what my 11th is going to be after this conversation, <laughs> Guy? So, um, yeah. Well, that was that was wonderful. Thank you so much for, for sharing, you know, your, you know, the, a wonderful story of your, your father's and your shared passion for food and this and a great business. Thank you, Guy. A pleasure. Thank you very much. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. I'm very happy today to have with me Fiona Beckett, Guardian wine writer. Um, Fiona has a website called Matching Food and Wine, which is exactly what it says. And I know that Fiona loves both cheese and wine, so I really can't think of a better person to to talk to us about this issue of, of what goes with 
with cheese if we're thinking about pairing cheese and wine. So hello, Fiona. Hello, and um, thank you for inviting me on. Well, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that, you know, wine and cheese is a very classic pairing. But when you think about it a little bit longer, there are so many cheeses and there are so many wines. So, you know, I'm guessing it's quite hard to match them in a way. They obviously have a lot of choice. <laughs> but so what, are there some principles, Fiona, that you would sort of give advice to people about putting the two together? I think I think the kind of big issue is um, how many cheeses you have in front of you, whether you have a kind of, you know, a big cheese board with lots of different kinds and styles of cheeses. And in, in many ways, that's a big challenge because you're expecting one wine typically to go with all of them which is unlikely. Does it matter that much? I think most people would would just say, you know, lovely cheese, any wine, that's fine. But you can actually refine the experience and, you know, tweak the combination so that you get a really good match along the way. That's interesting. And, and how would you go back to it? Would you sort of think, you know, of my cheese board, I really love, you know, the blue cheese is wonderful. I really, I want to choose a wine that will go with the blue cheese. Um, d- yes, just... Decide kind of, you know, what is in, in many ways the lead cheese or the lead styles of cheese. The, the, the things that can really throw, throw your cheese board really are the stronger flavours. So that if you have a very stinky cheese, like Stinking Bishop, for example, or Epoise, that's going to be quite um, difficult for any wine to contend with, um, or a strong blue. Whereas there are other cheeses that will kind of rub along. I mean, sheep's cheeses, are, are, for example, um, something like Barkswell is a re- really easy cheese to match. They go really well. Manchego, those, mm. those. It depends to some extent. You know, do you love your cheese so much that you go, as we all do, to a lovely cheesemonger, and they really mature the cheeses to to quite a, um, a, a an extreme extent. Or is it kind of like a mild supermarket cheese? Milder supermarket cheeses won't really cause any problems for wine because they don't have such assertive flavours. The stronger and the more personality the cheese has, the more difficult it is to get a a kind of really good wine match. Are there some combinations that you particularly enjoy serving? You know, perhaps with a single cheese and, and rather than the cheese board, you know, are there some matches made in heaven that you would absolutely recommend? No, actually. Um, I mean, a lot of people instinctively reach for a bottle of red wine with cheese, but actually white wine can go really well. And the combination that I always trot out because it's um, it's in many ways the um, insulata tricolore of the, um, of the wine and cheese world. You know that wonderful combination of um, mozzarella, tomatoes, and basil, and you know it just goes really well. And there are kind of things like that in the in the wine and cheese world. So, mm-hmm. goat's cheese and Sauvignon Blanc. Most people I've given that to think this is absolutely delicious. It goes so well, and really enjoy it. And often say, well, I never knew that you could drink white wine with cheese. So um, that's a standard one. And blue cheeses tend to go, um, you know, and when you think about it, it makes sense. Um, When you think about the Port and Stilton combination. So blue cheeses tend to go with wines with a touch of sweetness. So kind of rich porty reds or actually um, sweet wines. So there's the classic pairing of Roquefort and Sauterne. But you you can play that with other play that trick with other um, kinds of um, uh, cheeses and sweet wines. I mean, actually, I um, I think I paired a mead 
recently with a, a Welsh blue cheese. And um, I mean, that was absolutely lovely. It was a kind of, it was a heather mead. Um, and that um, delicious. Yes, yeah, so this was that touch and, of and so, yes. Yeah, you don't actually, that's the other big point. You don't have to stop at, at wine. You can, um, you know, you can, I mean, beer is a great match for cheese. Cider is. Um, spirits can be. Are there some things that you would absolutely advise again? You know, I mean, okay. So in fact, I'm going to talk through different types of so sparkling wine. I mean, are, are there some cheeses that go well with with sparkling wine in in your view? Some certain sort of types, thinking quite broadly. Yeah. Yes. Um, so actually, those white rinded cheeses um, can be good with a sparkling wine. Um, I think Camembert can be, although I prefer Camembert with with cider or or Pomo. Um, mm. That's that's also really good, um, but there's a, a cheese called Chaos, which um, comes from sort of you know top of um, sort of between Burgundy and Champagne, and that does go very well with Champagne. It's kind of it's white rinded, but it's slightly chalky, and it works really well with both Champagne and Chablis. Mm. These are good tips. As I'm making notes, obviously, as we as we talk. Am I? I tried. Um, I was interested in what you said about port earlier. Am I? Did a tasting with tawny port. Went really well with a lot of different cheeses. Um, it was a tasting I did at Christmas, and it, and of the ports we were trying, it was the tawny port that seemed the most um, sort of flexible in a way, actually. I totally agree. Yes, you know, it doesn't have quite the sort of the sweetness or the kind of very sort of strong red fruit character of. Um, of a, of a ruby port and it's kind of quite nicely nutty um, mm. and that kind of when you think about cheese and nuts um, that works well so nutty drinks too will will work in the same way you touch obviously on beer and cider and it's actually really interesting you know we've got this wonderful craft scene in beer and in cider so presumably again that's lots of options for for someone who's interested in exploring you could you know if you want if you're enjoying your beer enjoying your cider get in some it must be a really nice exercise in a way, actually, to get in some beer and cider and some cheese or cheeses and try them. And I mean, that's nothing beats trying something yourself, is it, and seeing what it what they taste like. Well, also, yes, I mean, it will be, um, it'll vary from person to person. People's tastes do, do vary. And so um, I might like, for example, um, a porter um, or a stout with blue cheese. But, you know, you might, that might not appeal to you. Um, <clears throat> you might prefer to have something like um, a barley wine, which is actually not a wine, but a beer, a kind of strong, sweet beer. Oh, and uh, sort of that mimics almost the effect of port. That sounds interesting. And obviously, you know, when you, people go out to restaurants, you're often given, you know, wines to, you know, there's wine matching <laughs> with with food. Uh, is that a source of interest for you? Do you see, you know, and, and is that a sign for you when you go to a restaurant of, of any sort of, a, you know, like a good sommelier, would recommend, you know, with that, with a cheese course, I'm thinking here, would suggest I a wine. Like that. I mean, I quite like um, restaurants that um, produce a, a cheese plate rather than a whole cheese board mm -hmm. because, and, and then suggest maybe um, a small glass of wine to go with that um, and, and kind of match the, the cheese itself with, with something interesting or surprising. Um, uh, yeah, I love that. I feel like I'm talking about a dream world here, but I suppose it will it will come back. I'm going to hold on to that. It will. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just I'm often fascinated by 
you know, you stop thinking about what you're tasting. If you've been if you've been eating, you know, um, some cheese after after lunch with friends, and then then you take a sip of your wine, and then you taste it again. You you know, you can really be struck by the difference that 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 sip of wine has made to the flavour. It's that really interesting thing of thinking. Think, you know, I suppose it's a sort of savouring process, isn't it? And the being aware of what you're tasting, a little bit of, of mindfulness in a way. Yeah, so I think mindfulness is a nice way of describing it. Um, I think also if, if you're kind of struggling to think what will go, it's quite good to think of um, uh, wine in terms of fruit flavours or drinks in terms of fruit flavours. If you mm. think, for example, that um, apples go really well with cheese, then you know that does explain why cider would and sort of apple-based drinks would. Um, and then something like um, brie is delicious with cherries, for instance. Oh. Nice. Um, uh, so if you think, well, in that case, would Beaujolais be nice with brie or would a Pinot Noir be nice with brie? Well, yes, it would. Um, or um, uh, there's even a, a sort of French um, kind of aperitif called Guignolet, and uh, that's kind of cherryish. So, I mean, it's really like being in the kitchen, food and wine pairing. Um, you can just as you would kind of be playing around with ingredients in, in, in the kitchen and sort of trying different combinations. You do the same with wine. It's not like there's a kind of right or wrong answer. Yes. I mean, as you said, and so subjective and very personal. So, you know, it, it is what you enjoy. But it is interesting to get thoughts. I was wondering, I was thinking about that, you know, some wines have got that sort of mangoey, tropical fruit flavours. And I was thinking, do they go with cheese? I was just trying to, I was, so my train of thought there was, you know, you know they go really well with I might have them with a curry, but would I have them with cheese? I don't know if I would. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm immediately thinking of something like a burrata or a kind of triple creme cheese. So in that same way that, um, you know, mangoes goes with creamy um, flavours and consistencies, something like that might well work. Um, and it's, I would say probably tropical fruity whites would probably not be top of my list but actually you could certainly find that you know you know how you find that you know that salad you can make with um with burrata and peaches and you know in high summer yeah so in the same way you could put a sort of peachy or tropical fruity wine with um a kind of cheese like that what fun i mean the way it just sounds like quite a lot of fun actually you know because yes I mean, the pleasure of finding a good combination. And so, Fiona, given your your interest in wine and in cheese, is this something that you, in, you know, when you're sent bottles, do you enjoy sort of thinking, oh, I think that would be really good with this, and then trying it out, and and then for a moment of triumph when you think, yes, that was that was a really good combination. Yeah, there's always, um, um, I mean, there are just always unexpected pairings and things you sometimes think will work don't always. I mean, just the same, you know, as I go back to cooking, it doesn't always yeah. work, does it? Um, <laughs> and things you wouldn't have necessarily thought of, you suddenly think, oh, my goodness, that's that's incredible. That's really, really delicious. And um, so it's like a constant a constant process of discovery. Um, and, I mean, if, I think also playing around, you know, getting friends together when we can all get together. <laughs> Can yeah. can do it outside, but I think it's better suited probably to doing inside, and just kind of trying different things together and sort of exploring things. Um, yeah, it's a lovely thought. Yeah, and then you then you can talk, isn't it? I mean, I've often it isn't the thing when you you know sometimes I do judging for awards, and one of the things I like about the judging process often you're judging in teams, and then you're so you're thinking about what you're tasting, whether it's marmalade or chocolate, and and 
and then you'll discuss it with your fellow judges, what you're getting, the notes you're getting, and and you've got to sort of relax and not, you know, and it, and not be uptight and think I've got to get it right. You sort of think, you know, what what am I getting? I'm getting this, mm. and it's quite it's a really nice process. And actually doing that and then essay sort of matching it, it's also sort of fun, I think. In some ways, the word matching worries people. It's kind of like you know, it's almost like you know, a pair of socks, and you know, if you can't find your <laughs> You're lost. <laughs> it's no good on its own. But it's just, um, and it's it sounds like there are rules, and and there are, it's not so much rule, rules. It's insights. It's kind of, and what I I try and do is kind of just suggest things to people. You know, all the time. It's kind of try this. You know, uh, this is fun. It's enabling people gain to gain confidence and um, you know try things out and have fun. Yeah. Definitely. Wonderful. Well, I mean, as I say, Fiona's website is, and also her social media feeds are full of ideas. So, so well worth looking at. So, Fiona, really lovely to have you on the programme. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jenny. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. You know, one of the interesting pairings with cheese is, is something sweet and, and actually, you know, honey, you know, this wonderful food. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to have with us Hattie Ellis, the food writer and author of a very delicious cookbook called Spoonfuls of Honey. So Hattie, hello. Hello. Good to be here with my favourite food other than honey. Oh, very um, good. Well, that's a natural. There we go. Excellent. That's a great start. I mean, I was just thinking, it, you know, it is cheese and honey, you know, salty. Cheese is salty by its nature as a preserved food. Honey is sweet. Um, you know, another preserved food in a way, isn't it? And um, they do seem to dance together really delightfully. What, what are your what are your thoughts about sort of pairing cheese and honey? Well, they're two. Um, I guess it's it's the sweetness and the saltiness, but also the acidity of uh, of cheese, which goes so beautifully with honey. And also, actually, honey has some acidity as well in it. So you've got this wonderful dance, as you say. Of uh, well, good food is is about balance and contrast, isn't it? Whether it's sweet and sour and salty or different textures, and both cheese and honey have extraordinary textures and they're very beautiful as well. So you've got all sorts of things going on, um, mm. and two two foods which are also there to feed the animals originally. So they're very nutritious foods. So honey is the carbohydrate for the bees and milk is protein uh, for, for the cows. And so they're sort of elemental foods in a way. And uh, there, there they are, and you can just put them together. And visually delightful. I mean, one of the things that I enjoy doing is, um, which is quite a classic pairing, I think, is to take a goat's cheese, a sort of chevre style into you know, slice and grill it and then drizzle honey over it. And then one of the things that always interests me is that the, um, you know, which honey do I choose? I don't have a, I don't have as many honeys as you have, Hattie, but I do have a few. And I I often tend to use chestnut honey because for me it's got that darker, you know, it does have a little bit more of a tang. It's not quite as, it seems a bit more um, upfront than something like a, you know, a more, I don't know, a, a delicate sort of acacia honey or something. And I like that with the with the goat's cheese. Yeah, I, th- I think there are, because honey has so many different kinds of sweetness. And in fact, some of them are quite bitter, like mm. chestnut honey. Arbutus is another honey that's bitter. And then there are sort of richer honeys, like one of my favourites is, is heather honey, 
which at its ultimate, I have, have a slice of honeycomb with the cheese. And I think you can either go strong, strong. So um, maybe a chestnut honey with a pecorino, something like mm. that. Or you can go for a contrast. So one of the ones I love is a blue cheese with something, a, a sort of fragrant lighter honey. So orange blossom or acacia or something like that, which you drizzle over um, the honey, uh, drizzle over the cheese. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, but then I also like stronger ones with, with, with strong cheese as well. I think goat's cheese goes particularly well with honey um, and harder cheeses as well. Yeah, I'm um, very fond of that goat's cheese honey pairing. I often, um, I did it the other day and I was eating a delicious, and actually it was with the sheep's cheese and I was eating it and um, I thought, oh, a bit of honey. <laughs> and, um, and it was a yeah. beautiful sort of golden, I think it was um, some Tuscan honey I had. It was like a multi-flower, you know, millefiori sort of honey and mm. put it over it. And it was, just, and it looked, as you say, so beautiful because it was this gold, you know, it's lovely, very bright white cheese and this golden honey on it. And it was like, oh, what well, a it's, treat. It's, it's, <laughs> it's such a, um, an ancient pairing. So I really got into it in Italy. Um, I was in Syracuse in southeast Sicily and looking at, um, how the ancient Greeks and Romans um, kept bees. And I, I was given a plate of pecorino and orange blossom honey. And I just, they were so golden together. Mm. And I thought this is an ancient food. And they made sort of uh, honey, honey um, cheesecakes. And it's, it's something which, People have eaten forever, really, cheese and honey. Yes. Um, I mean, in fact, we should talk about, I, I noticed, you know, you've got, you've got lovely recipes in your book, in your, in your cookbook, and, and some of them do feature cheese, don't they? Because there is, you know, it's, we, we've been talking about sort of cheese boards and honey, I suppose, you know, rather than cooking, cooking the two together. But obviously there is an affinity. You, you, you can use honey with cheese as, as, an, as another ingredient and put them together. What, what are yeah. some ways that you enjoy doing that? Well, I mean, other than a beautiful cheese and honey on a cheese board, maybe with some nuts and fruit, there are all sorts of things you can do. And you don't need to use very much honey because it has this magic as an ingredient. And it just sets off visually and in terms of taste all sorts of dishes. So I've got a blue cheese and flour salad with honey, honeyed walnuts. Mm. You just toast the walnuts and then add some honey and put them back in the oven very briefly. And then baking a camembert and dipping in honey on toasts, maybe walnut toast again. Um, and goat's cheese, herb and uh, honey phyllo, phyllo parcels. Uh, that's delicious. Oh, yum. <laughs> um, yeah. And grilled goat's cheese. I got that recipe from the Lancaster London Hotel where they've got bees on the roof that forage in Hyde Park. Lovely. Um, and then uh, uh, one of my absolute favourites, it comes from um, Sifnos, the Cycladean island. And it's a, it's a honey ricotta pie, really, with a, a sesame seed pastry. And then um, honey and cream and ricotta. And you bake it and then put some more, um, some more sesame seeds on top. You know, one of the joys of cheese is the variety in which it exists. 
And, you know, even if we, even if you and I mentioned Gates cheese, there'd be so many different Gates cheeses. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and of course, that's one of the joys of honey is it's multiple, you know, I think, again, people are quite often think of honey as sort of, uh, you know, this sort of, it's when it's mass produced, it's, it's very, um, it's got a very quite a simple sweetness and it's quite generic, I suppose, in a way. And yet actually, you know, honeys, the, the monofloral honeys, the honeys that come from, from predominantly one plant, have got the most extraordinary range of flavours and yeah, um, yeah, and colours yeah. and textures, and you know, dandelion honey you can get, and cherry blossom honey, and mango honey I've had in Brazil, um, and I suppose it's two things: you get the monoflorals. Well, all honey is is from a particular time and place, and that's exactly the same as cheese, and mm. also. If if you have a monofloral honey, that's because the beekeepers put um, their bees close to an area where there's a strong nectar flow. So, for mm-hmm. example, in Northumberland or Scotland and other parts of the UK, they put the bees near the heather moors where the ling heather comes out. And before that, you can actually get in other places, you can get bell heather honey, which is slightly different. And so that's... It's, it's a time and a place, and depending on the nectar flow, you, they may get a lot or they may get very little. And then so you've got uh, monofloral honeys, and the Italians are, have made a particular thing of this, partly because they have uh, agricultural crops that um, the bees pollinate. Then also the polyfloral honeys, they, come from, uh, they may come from lots of different um, different plants, but they come from one place, so that's also very distinctive as well. Um, and the, the, you know, wildflower honey is an example of that mm. that we might get in, in Britain. Or uh, lime blossom honey, which is slightly minty. Uh, there's so many different kinds, and I, I, I guess that the other parallel is that you have, like the cheese maker who uh, takes care of 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 the milk and and of their place you have a beekeeper who is a, a artisanal beekeeper is not blending their honey uh, they're they're collecting it from the the combs mm-hmm. and they do very they're very careful about how they process it so that they they keep the integrity of 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 the honey and you can tell that straight away if you take the lid off and this gorgeous waft uh, as if you're in the place um, comes up from from the pot whereas I think if it's blended if it's heated if it's uh, fine filtered some honey is I'm afraid is sugar syrup um, some of it's very boiled and it just tastes like barley sugar yeah. so the difference between the kind of one that is is from a time and a place and is cared for by person who's collecting it uh, is very similar to to the the wonderful cheesemakers. Beautiful Hattie, a very eloquent description. And actually, I, you know, I would really recommend. I think, you know, the, exploring the world of of honeys alongside the world of cheese seems like a really pleasurable idea. And um, I'm going to be doing more of that. Beautiful. <laughs> Thanks very much. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could 
rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.